Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Journalist Talk. I'm your host, Bea Barros, and today I have here Andrea Esparza. She is uh, now a full-time anchor at KRNV News 4 in Reno. So thank you so much for coming today, Andrea. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So as my first question to Every guest that I have here is give me a, a brief biography about yourself so all my listeners can get to know you a little better. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a Mexican-American, uh, pretty much first generation. I come from a really small town called Soledad, which actually translates to loneliness. It's a small agriculture town right next to a federal prison. Um So yeah, I've always been, people always ask me, why'd you go into journalism? I actually didn't know journalism even existed until maybe my junior year of high school. Um, I really liked speech and debate and theater and talking. And I thought, well, how can I kind of combine everything and make a career out of it? And there you go. I ended up going to California State University, Northridge, and really fell in love with broadcast journalism. Wow. Yeah, there you go. I love like this question. Because everybody that I interviewed, they get journalism in such different ways. And, you know, it's always good. Journalism is always there for everybody. (laughs) Can you talk a little more about your job, like, nowadays? I know you literally just told me that you got promoted to Evening Anchor as well, so, like, full-time. How was um, all these changes? Because I saw that you were also, like, a news reporter, a morning news reporter, so... Can you tell me a little more about your time working like right now? I think it's like your first like market, right? Yeah. So I have been in Reno for less than two years, maybe about a year and a half. And in that time, I've been promoted three times. So I went from morning anchor, I'm sorry, morning reporter. And I did that for about a year. But within that year, I was able to Um, fill in as a morning anchor. And that's kind of where I got like my first case of full-time anchoring for about two to three months. And then I got off the morning show and I went into um, afternoon reportings, like day side, we call it. And then eventually I was asked to become the weekend anchor about six months ago. And then just yesterday, they pretty much offered me the position to be an evening anchor. I'll still get to report because I come in at 2.30 and then I come back in at 11 to do the 11 p.m. show. Yay. Well, congratulations to you. I bet everybody else is also telling you congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. You said that, like, you can also uh, do reportings right now. So how would you, like, would you tell us that it's, like, a day-to-day in your life? Uh, Can you do kind of, like, a breakdown for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I work a little bit of an odd shift because our main anchors do not anchor the 11, which is not something that you typically see in this market. Um. So what happens is I go in at 2.30 p.m. I'm pretty much kind of like a general assignment reporter because I work such an odd shift. It's hard for me to pitch and curate all my own stories. Um, So I go at 2.30, you know, I write my scripts, get my interviews, and I'm usually on air by 5 p.m. And then I usually do a 5 p.m., a 6, and a 6.30. Um, And then I have a little bit of a break. I write my web article, come back home for, you know, dinner or something, And then I go back in at 10 p.m., sometimes 9 p.m. to read my scripts. And then I'm on air again for anchoring for the 11 p.m. show. And how long is your show? It's like an hour? 30-minute show. Oh, there you go. Yeah, from 11 to 
30. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was so odd. Uh, you're saying that you go back home and like you grab dinner, like in the middle of your shift. That's something like yeah. every journalist has their lunchbox everywhere. So, yeah. <laughs> over so the it's, place. Just, it's a little bit of a luxury, but it can be a little bit of an inconvenience because you have to drive back and forth. It makes it's a really weird shift because I'm not only reporting, but I also have to come back and anchor. Yeah. It, it sounds it sounds fun. Like it's like a double life in like one shift. Yeah, it can be fun, but it can also be really, it can be a lot. Yeah, like you have have this whole life before you're just sitting down and anchoring, like you went, you like wrote scripts, you went to get interviews, and yeah, that sounds pretty cool though, yeah. It is is pretty interesting, and it's a fun, in my opinion, fun schedule. And there is uh, one story so far that you have reported that is, is talking with you like this whole time. I've done um, a lot of missing persons cases. So I think the story, uh, I've done two na- that turned national stories. So um, there was one of Naomi Irian, who was a 18-year-old girl who was kidnapped, raped, and murdered from a Walmart in Fernley, which is about um, maybe 40 minutes away from Reno. So um, I did that all of that coverage. And, you know, I talked to the family, I interviewed the family, became relatively close. Um, so those are the stories that stick with me the most because I've learned, especially when you're working with other markets, when it becomes a national story is you don't want to treat the family like you're using them for content. And that I think is a difficult balance when you're a reporter because you need their content, but they're also human beings whose sister was just murdered. So, um, that was something that really stuck with me, especially because I was on that story from the beginning and then when we found out, you know, that she passed, they found her body, you know, you have to read the autopsy reports and all that stuff. So those are the kind of the stories I think stick with me just because they're pretty mentally taxing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw, I think, on your LinkedIn, my main font of um, <laughs> sources about like all my interviewees, I saw that you put that you kind of like has, have a lot of experience with missing uh person cases and that was yeah something that I want to talk to you that was something that you were always interested it just happened and then like you kind of got easier because it's always a very heavy topic but like you got used to reporting on it how did that happen yeah so um when I was in college at CSUN I did a lot of human trafficking related stories um that was kind of my beat when I was in a podcast class I've always been interested in that type of topic and such. But when I think when it comes to like reporting on it, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but you kind of are able to detach yourself a little bit more. Like, you know, when to leave work at work and then, you know, come home. Um, but I don't, I don't think it gets that much easier. I think for me, I'm just a, a person person, I guess. Um, I don't really like that mentality. Of like I'm a reporter getting you for content. So I think for that, it has its own challenges because, you know, there's days where I would come home and cry like this sucks. This is so sad. The latest one I did was Kylie Rodney, who was I think she was 15 or 16 years old, was at a party, went missing for weeks. They have no idea where she went and they ended up finding her in the bottom of a lake. So it's like stuff like that. It's mentally taxing. I think it's sad, Um, but I think you learn to cope and, you you know, there's resources such as therapy or you talk to your friends and stuff. Um, I don't think it gets easier, though. You just learn to cope with it differently. Yeah, you just mentioned therapy. Um, 
because of like everything that you see that you have to read that you have to report and talk to people do you think uh journalists um they get actual help with their like mental health in these cases when you have to report on that or when you have like a lot of assignments that kind of like exhausts your mind uh how is the support in the field for journalists taking care of those cases i think it can be it depends on who you're working for I think in this industry, I've learned really quickly that you have to advocate for yourself. I think it's a very much, it can be kind of a toxic mentality where you're just like, oh, it's the business. So get used to it. I don't, I think, but I think as younger generations of reporters and journalists get into the industry that that conversation is changing where it's like, no, I just had to read an autopsy report about a woman who was raped and murdered. I need therapy and you're going to pay for it kind of thing. So um, that is in my company, they're really good about it. They offer resources, they offer therapy courses, um, things that you can talk to someone about it. But again, you have to advocate for yourself because they're not going to know if you're not okay. Right. Um, so I think that conversation is shifting in terms of mental health with reporters. I think especially, you know, we had that reporter in Orlando who was, you know, murdered, who was killed. You know, I think, um, the, but the conversation about safety in terms of journalists is also changing in the industry, which is good. Yeah, that is something that you would like to report on as well. Um, how to make this change, how to advocate for it, and like take care of other reporters on field. Because sometimes, like if you're an MMJ and uh, you know you're a woman and you're alone at night and you have to do like this package or whatever, like it's not safe. You're alone. We have like a ton of equipments and they are worth like crazy money. Plus the bare fact that we are women and we are already out there alone um do you think that at least like for those cases um news organizations should say like no we get like a camera person for you or you can go like with, with other people you know just like yeah. to have like the safety net yeah for sure i think in my company i think most places are very much anti-reporting alone um, unless you're going to gather content, that's different. Um, but you're not usually gathering content at like 11 PM at night. Right. So you usually have a photog with you. Um, and my station's really adamant about that. Like you're not going to go do coverage or a live shot by yourself. You always have a photog with you because that puts you in a liability standpoint, right? You know, if something bad happens that puts the company at risk. I was very thankful that I came to my first market was higher, um, versus others who are in Tri-Cities and may have had to do stand-up by themselves. But I think that conversation, again, is changing and people are becoming more aware that you can't be doing that because if something happens, that's not a good look for you or the company or the news station. So I, I think most people are not, not doing that. Um, I haven't really experienced it at my station, but I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, I remember like a couple of years ago, everybody's talking how they had to go alone and doing all these packages and people don't feel safe doing these things alone. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's something it actually needs to change. And <laughs> I'm happy hearing like from someone that it's like on the field right now doing these things like, and you're seeing these changes. So that's like yeah. very important. Agree. I'm, I'm definitely seeing the changes. Um, our news director just talks about how, you know, if you're at a location and you do not feel safe, let us know and you're, you can leave, you know? especially when it comes to weather coverage and snow and stuff. Like if you don't feel safe off the side of a highway, call us and we'll move you. But again, it's the whole thing. You have to advocate for yourself or else 
you just get kind of walked all over, you know? I'm working at KCSN. Like, we don't actually go and talk to to people, like, about the reportings and all, but we get mm-hmm. to report on some stories. And today I saw, like, a story of a lady. It's been, like, over 30 years. She disappeared. Uh, yeah. She was given as dead. And uh, she was found in Puerto Rico in a adult care facility. And, like... Her husband, like, never remarried, and it was always, like, this thing, what happened? Because she had, like, some uh, mental health, like, issues, and she has, like, a little bit of schizophrenia, like, very low. But, you know, imagine, like, how would it be, like, working with this type of story? I I don't know if I have, like, the guts to do that. Like, I really, I applaud you for doing that and advocating for this side of news that it's like very hard to talk about like i honestly applaud you <laughs> yeah thank you so much and it's it's not easy but uh i've always been that kind of person that's very confident and you know i just was raised that way so I'm like, if you're not treating me right i'm gonna advocate for myself and try to fix things and i think that's a problem in this industry is sometimes we like to complain a lot but we don't go and do something about it and so that's where i'm like I'm not going to let this fly anymore. I need to go talk to my news director, my manager, blah, blah, blah. And usually they're pretty receptive. It's just, they're just like, well, I didn't know this was happening. How can I change something that I don't know is happening? Right. But uh, you're also in Reno right now. It's far away from LA. And uh, how is it to move around alone? I mean, I have my quiet experiencing (laughs) coming 10,000 kilometers away from home, but how is it for you, like, moving to your first market? Are you alone? Uh, I mean, you have your puppy, which is adorable. Listeners, it's a very cute puppy. <laughs> but how is it for you, like, the, all these changes? Um, you know what? I think um, just naturally I'm a very independent person. And, um, you know, I left small town to go to Los Angeles to go to college. I always kind of look at it like an adventure, right? Um, it was not easy, though, it's, especially coming to Reno and I actually have distant family here and which is one of the reasons why I chose Reno. It was either Reno or El Paso, Texas. So I said, Hmm, first market. I don't know if I want to be a flight away from home. I'm only eight hours away from home at this point and I have family here. So that made the transition a little bit easier. Um, but you know, you get used to it. I think the hard part is you, you go from seeing your family 24-7 to then seeing them a few times a year. And that's often something hard to reflect on. Um, but it was not too hard. I ended up meeting um, my current boyfriend here, and we've been together for nearly two years. So it really worked out. I think fate had a lot to do with it. So relatively happy, and I'm happy I have family here. But not everyone gets that, right? And that's probably one of the reasons why I've stayed in Reno is I really like the area. I have a little family here. Um, So it makes it easier to stay. Hey, listeners, I have a great news for you. I'm here to incentivize you to create your own podcast just like me. I couldn't think of a better partner than Buzzsprout, and I recommend them for you as a beginner in podcasting. Buzzsprout can help you with publishing your own podcast in every major platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. They also automatically publish on your personalized website, and they give you all the statistics in detail that you want. 
To start your own podcast and to win a $20 Amazon gift card, follow the instructions on the link in my show notes. If I can do it, you can do it too. Good luck on creating your very own podcast. Even like uh, with all the safety and you have like your now boyfriend, you have like family there, like and you still like cover all those cases. Do you feel safe? Like you want to stay there? Well, how do you want to like proceed with your career? Yeah, so I definitely want to become a full-time anchor. My ultimate dream job would be a full-time morning anchor in like San Diego because I love the weather there and it's close to Los Angeles, my family and stuff. I think the reason I've stayed in Reno is because I've been able to kind of move up the chain at such a fast rate. Um, and that's something that you don't typically see so early in one's career. I haven't even been in this industry for two years. So that's pretty much why I've stayed because the opportunities just keep coming. And when it comes to safety, I feel fine. I feel safe. I feel like no matter where you go, you're going to find missing persons cases or hidden runs and this, this and that. Um, but I feel like Reno was a really good starting market because they call it the biggest little city, right? So you still get that city-like feel. We have the casinos. That itself has its challenges. We have prostitution legal here, right? Whoa. We have brothels. That itself has a lot. And um, you have crime, but you still have a sense of community, like small town mentality, because it's not a city like Los Angeles. Um, so I think it was a really good place to start because you kind of get exposure in all these different types of news reporting and kind of beats. And I think that's kind of why I've stayed. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't know half of what you just told me. I'm just shocked. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say you have like a lot of different beats from like Los Angeles. <laughs> I would say you have more, yeah. more space in this like investigative crime journalism which is like apparently what you like to do. And that's like really cool for you. <laughs> You're in the right place. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I really like working on missing persons cases. I've just kind of grown a connection to those types of stories. Um, but I kind of like more community-like pieces. I feel like those are the stories that impact people the most. I think on my shift, it's hard to do those investigative stories. Um, but I like community pieces where... You know, it, it can be someone complaining about something on like the next door app, right? And then you go and do a story on it and you find out, oh, shoot, you can resolve everything if you just shine light onto the situation. Um, so those are the stories I like. And I feel like I have an upbeat personality. So it works to have more like fun, lively content, which is why I really love the morning show because you get to do more stuff like that. Um, but I still like politics a lot, too. Um, and there's a lot of that happening in Nevada. There's a lot of eyes of midterm election, presidential, and all that stuff. And were you able to get, like, the one story so far that you loved doing, like, about the community in Reno right now? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I've done so many. I really liked, um, I did a really interesting story not too long ago, like, a, a week ago, about defibrillators. And that one was really fun. It was a sweeps package. And it uh, was about, I tied it into the DeMar Hamlin case because, you know, what the, fo the football player, NFL star, who pretty much had cardiac arrest on the field. I tied that into a story about a young boy in Las Vegas who died of sudden cardiac arrest. 
and how it sparked a lot of awareness in getting more schools their hands on defibrillators and Narcan kits because of fentanyl exposures and stuff. So I really liked that story because you, you tie it into national, you localize it, and then you see the direct impacts of it. And those are the stories that I kind of like because they kind of come full circle. So I think as thus far, that was probably one of my favorite stories I've done recently, I would say. Oh, that is really cool. And, you know, tying like local and national news and everything else. When you were uh, at CSUN, you were doing Valley View and you made a package on White Lives Matter. I remember it was huge. Like there was a lot of feedback on it. Can you just talk a little more like how you pitched the idea, how you did it, um, all the consequences and like what came from it, like the feedback from everybody? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I actually didn't pitch it. So it it all happened very, it was actually interesting because I was looking, it was almost like we were reading each other's minds. Um, Our current executive producer, Matthew Yahada, I believe his last name is, um, you know, he texted me. I was about to send an email being like, hey, we should cover this White Lives Matter story that's happening in, uh, what was it, Huntington Beach. And then I get a text from him being like, hey, would you cover this for us? And he, I remember him telling me, like, he was even scared to ask me to do it. And I was like, absolutely, I'll do it. I don't care, right? And then so I think when it came to that story, I was alone. And I had a gimbal with me on my iPhone and a little mic. And I shot everything on my iPhone and that was like the best call ever because I had a gimbal. So I would just run around with it and everything was smooth shots. Um, I think the hardest part of that story was you don't, you don't want to be biased, right? I'm a proud Mexican, you know, very strong of my heritage. And so I have to come into this situation where people are essentially just racist, right? And so I remember thinking that night before being like, how can I approach this story And I think the way I approached it was I was genuinely curious and I wanted to understand the idea of white power and why they felt like their voices weren't being heard, right? And that was my understanding. And that's how I think it was so successful was I didn't go in there trying to bash White Lives Matter rally. I went in there with trying to understand where you're coming from, right? And so it turned out to be a pretty big thing. I didn't expect it to be have thousands of people there. And I'm over there alone, a little Mexican girl, you know, just hanging out. And, I, you know, I was called some racial slurs. There's people out there with swastikas tatted on their arms and they were holding flags and stuff. But, you know, I did it. I had, this, you know, the interviews and it was more of like, well, why do you feel like you're being ignored? Right. And I ended up, the, the, the whole conversation ended up leading to, they feel like they're being, it, their voices aren't being heard because minorities are finally being seen, which is something they've been fighting for for decades, right? And that was kind of the conclusion that I got. Um, but yeah, I think I think by far in my career, that was probably the most impactful. And that one really set off my career. I mean, a week later, I was getting, I had like 13 interviews lined up with different news directors. That is so, really cool. Did they yeah. tell you how did they got your, your package? They found me on YouTube. Yeah. They found me on, I well, so what I did was it all was happening towards the end of the semester, right? So um, I had my video on YouTube that got a few thousand views and then I put it in my reel. And when you look up my name, Andrea Sparza, the first thing you see is the White Lives Matter package. And then my reel was right after it. And I think people are surprised. I think news directors are always scoping on YouTube and LinkedIn. And so they'll just kind of hit you up randomly like, hey, you know, I really liked your package. Are you interested in doing an interview. 
such, you know, when are you graduating? And so that it kind of just worked out that way for me. Yeah. yeah. I bet like everybody was so proud of you for like all of that happening. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's really cool and something that you do, like, gets, like, this big recognition. And I remember that, like, even in the club when I was part of the ArchDNA, like, board members, we even got to one day and we're like, oh, let's talk about this. <laughs> Since our oh, interview, wow. it just, like, just canceled on us. And I remember we talked a little bit about it and it was, like, I feel like it was very inspiring for some students because, like, that day stuck with me until today. I'm like, dude, that is really cool to doing while you're in college you know and I also feel proud when my friends like they get like some stories like local and they bring like to this whole new like level I have yeah. a friend I don't know if you know him uh Esteban Renoso you know oh, yeah, Renoso. yeah I know him yeah. yeah I think like the first time that he he was already on the market and he was like oh my my story went national and I was like dude stop it I'm so proud of you yeah Because that is, like, a big accomplishment and trying to, like, just, like, reach this audience and out of nowhere, like, everybody gets to know you, your work, like, everything that you do. It's it's very amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I'm proud of everyone. Like, I I have Uh some of my friends here on the podcast and I'm like, guys, I just want to bring light to all of you guys' work. You know, I'm doing my work here, doing, like, all these interviews, but I'm just giving voice to people who are giving voices to, like thousands of other ones it's like we're shifting kind of like our places because i'm like journalists don't get asked questions about them or like their lives and i think that's a mentality that you want to keep because i feel like in this industry it's it's hard because it's a competitive industry right so you have people who are very egocentric and it's it's sad to say but There are people out there in this industry, I felt it firsthand, where they just try to tear you down because they're either jealous, envious, or they wish what you had. You, They wish they had what you had, right? So I experienced that a lot, and it sucked. It really did, because I've always been a person who's a team player. I'm like, I want everyone to thrive. I'm not a very – I'm naturally not a very competitive person. I just want to make sure I go in and do the best that I can and help those around me. So that was a really big adjustment coming into this industry because there's a lot of people who are not like that. And that was a really big wake up call for me. Yeah, I I know there's people like that, but I I just can't, you know, I have the same thing. I'm going to be doing like my best. I'm going to put my name out there. I'm going to do all the work that I have to do. I'm going to do it good. I'm going to do the best one that I can. So like I get seen, but if you're doing like a better job or if you're trying to like, you know, everybody's trying to make it. And, you know, you just got to put yourself out there, do whatever you can. And then there you go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just another quick question. Uh, Would you like to bring more of your heritage, like your Latina side, more into the stories that you cover? Or do you have like any projects that you want to bring like this whole other side of you? Yeah. So I think that can be a slippery slope. Because you can be easily tokenized, where you're like, oh, you're the only Mexican at the station, you speak Spanish, we only want you to do Mexican-related or Spanish-related stories. And I that happened to me early in my career with my previous news director, and I did not like it. Because it's like, well, well I don't want to just cover Latino stories, I want to cover politics. But oh, no, but you're, you're like the Mexican reporter, so you have to do like Latino-based stories. And so you have to be, I think, cautious. I think it really benefits. And so 
after I said, I'm not doing that anymore, what I started doing was when I go out and find interviews for my stories, I try to talk to Latinos who speak Spanish. So I'll have them speaking Spanish on TV and I'll just be doing like a slight voiceover translating for them. So that's how I was able to do it because one of the things we talked about is I think more than 35% of Reno is Latinos, yet we never see them on TV. You're missing a whole market, right? So because I spoke Spanish, when we are doing stories on whatever topic, I have the, you know, the upper hand and I'm like, well, let me go put some of the people in our community that are overlooked because I can speak to them in Spanish, right? So that's kind of how I was able to do that in a way where I wasn't being tokenized, but still highlighting a community that's very prominent here in Reno. Yeah, well, that, that is really good for everybody in the community. And I bet they are like very thankful for this different view. And I guess like also in journalism, this it it's kind of shifting the way that news directors see this thing. Like if you're a reporter and you have like a good idea on how to get that market because like you're involved with it, they listen better right now. I agree. Yeah, 100%. It's because they know they're missing out on a, a viewing market, right? There was even times where I, I there was a few articles I wrote where I would write one in English and then write a second article in Spanish, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think you have to, I think you just have to tread carefully if you want to use that as an angle um, or else you, you end up being tokenized and that's a spot I don't think anyone really wants to be in. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What would be an advice for students graduating, going to markets, and how advocating for the, themselves? Because sometimes we think, like, it's our first jobs, our first market. Um, I don't want to start and get there and, like, talk and advocate for myself. I'm going to do whatever they say. How would you yeah. give an advice for this student? Yeah, I think this is probably, I think probably one of the biggest learning curves I had to learn really early on in my career. I think the way, if you have a problem, I think the way you do it is you go and talk to the people directly and then you go to management. I think it's all about your delivery, right? And it's, it's really hard in this industry. I think especially as a woman, because you, you're viewed as three things, right? You're either, you're complaining, you're a bitch. Sorry. That's what it is. You're ungrateful or this is the excuses you get. Oh, you, this is the business. It's really hard to suck it up. But I think, like, as I mentioned earlier, we're trying to change that narrative, right? And a lot of people say journalism is a dying industry. TV is dying. And I'm like, well, it's dying because all these younger people who are coming into the market are leaving because they don't feel heard, right? Um, so I think that's one of the things is, you know, be confident in who you are. Don't be cocky, but be confident. And if you have a problem, try to find a solution for it. Don't just go and complain. No one likes a complainer. I do not. So if you have a problem, try to find a solution for it and brainstorm with your news director. Um, I think that's a big thing is, ironically, there's a lack of communication, even though we're in the communication business. So I think that is the biggest thing is that you just have to communicate with your news director. And they're typically really receptive. The news director I have, thankfully, is a woman. And she's her name's Melissa Ferguson. And she's amazing, super res like responsive and supportive. And so it works out. But I, I, I can't imagine it's like that in every industry, right? And just advocate for yourself, because if you don't advocate for yourself, no one else will. Yeah. Great words. Great words from Andrea, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, that's how I... Well, if you think about it, we're always advocating for other people, right? That's like in this industry, a lot of us go into this business, like, we want to share people's stories, we want to help them, but we often forget that we have to help ourselves. True. And it's like, if I'm not okay, I'm not going to be doing a good job 
telling other people's stories. So that's kind of like the wake up call I had. Yeah. And is there anything else they want to share with everybody here who's listening to us? Yeah. I mean, everyone always says this. It's a really hard business. It's hard. It's not an easy business. Um, but you, you kind of, if you really, really want it, we all know we're not going in it for the money. You'll probably start making that 35K, you know, and then you move your way up. up. So, you know, you really have to want it. It's not going to be easy, you know, but if you want it enough, you'll keep pushing forward. I think that's what I would sell, tell people and highly consider it. Like if you really don't like working overtime and you don't like stress and pressure, this may not be the business for you. Um, but if you really love it and stick with it. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys really love journalism, keep doing it <laughs> in any other yeah. case, you know, contribute to it somehow, you know, if it's part of your passion, but not like your life craze calling. Yeah. I feel like there is a lot of that in journalism and I just want to thank you so much for coming here and talking to me today. I know it's like online because we're so far away. We're like eight hours. No, it's Los Angeles. <laughs> trust me. It's snowing here and it's not fun. <laughs> well, some places here is also snowing. So I guess like yeah. you feel very at home. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting like 15 feet of snow though. Oh my like, God. No. Yeah. We're yeah, not getting all that. Oh, <laughs> I miss Los Angeles. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. And for all of my listeners, I'm going to see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to check on our socials. My Facebook is Journalist Talk. And everything is going to be in the show notes. So please take a look on that. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye.